Let me invite you to take out a Bible. If you have a Bible with you, if it's on a mobile device, grab that and turn to John chapter 4. As you turn to John chapter 4, I want us to to say together a statement that we learned the end of last year based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And then as it includes what we'll be studying in John 4 in the coming weeks. So if you turn there to John 4, now if you would look, look up here if you would please. And let's say this. If you know it already, you can say it without reading. If this is new to you, just read it along with us. This is a statement of identity for those who have been born again, who are children of God. It says, I'm a child of God, forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. The Spirit of God lives in me to do the work of God through me. And then what we added last week is simply this statement, which develops, if you will, the work of God through me, why the Spirit of God lives in me, that I am an instrument of God for more people finding more life in Jesus. Now, understand what I mean here when I say more life. We just prayed for those little girls that they would find new life in Jesus. But then as we find new life in Jesus, there is the growing into discovering and finding abundant life in Jesus. And then looking forward to eternal life in Jesus. So there is this entering into life through faith in Jesus, but then there is this growing into experiencing and knowing and expressing the fullness of life in Jesus. So that's what we mean when we say, I'm a child of God, forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. The Spirit of God lives in me to do the work of God through me. I'm an instrument of God for more people finding more life in Jesus. I ask you again, would you commit this to memory? Not simply as something nice to memorize, but something to repeat on a daily, if not hourly, whenever the need arises, whether it's in the place of temptation or in the time of fear or in the time of opportunity, before you put your feet on the the floor when you get up in the morning, before you eat your breakfast, before you take your lunch, that you would remind yourself who you are as you live out your faith today. Say it with me. I'm a child of God, forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. The Spirit of God lives in me to do the work of God through me. I'm an instrument of God for more people finding more life in Jesus. See, if we capture that, it's just like, that's life, folks. That's an incredible joy. And we realized what we talked about last week, if you weren't here, that if we are going to be an instrument of God for more people finding more life in Jesus, then we're going to have to have more life conversations like we see Jesus have in John 4. So that's where we're going to go back. We actually started not with the conversation that Jesus had with a woman who needed life in Jesus, but we started with the conversation he had with his disciples after that conversation. Because as Christ followers, they needed to hear something that, as Christ followers, we needed to hear about life conversations. And that's this. Life conversations with people begin with life conversations with God. In other words, with prayer. Before we start talking to people, we should be talking with God. We always need to make sure this is in line as we become the instrument in and through which God does his work. So our prayer that we looked at last week in light of what Jesus said to his disciples was threefold. First, it was a confession prayer. My spiritual appetite is not like yours, Jesus. He said, I have food that you don't know about. And they were like, what are you talking about? You having food? No, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And they didn't have that appetite. And so if you and I are going to have life conversations with people, we got to start with saying, God, increase my spiritual appetite. And one of the ways we increase our spiritual appetite is to deny, at times, our 
physical appetite, to fast, what the scripture calls. So next Sunday, after third hour, no lunch, lunch. In other words, over lunch, we're going to get around a table and we're going to have food. It's just not going to be edible food. It's going to be the food that, that Jesus said he had, the food of seeing those who are not yet in life in Jesus finding life in Jesus. So we're going to get it around together, and instead of eating, we're going to eat the food of praying for those who are not yet born again. So I hope you'll join us. If you want to go home and eat after that, have at it. But we're going to spend our lunch minutes asking the Lord for that. That confession then, Jesus said, leads to a request. He said, lift up your eyes and see the ripened fields. But he wasn't talking about wheat or barley or grain. He was talking about people. Lift up your eyes and see people. So our request is, Lord, open my eyes to see the opportunities with people who do not yet have life in Jesus. Every time, this is what was so powerful for me, every time I get an interaction with someone who has not yet found life in Jesus, that's an opportunity. I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm going to see it as an opportunity. I'll make the most of it wherever it might go. But just like the disciples walked by all those people that Jesus said, hey, look up and see them. They had walked all around them and people in town in Sychar and missed them. And we go to work and we miss them. We go into our neighborhoods and we miss them. We go to the Y and we miss them. So Lord, open my eyes. Did you see people this past seven days? Clients, customers, coworkers. Did you see people that maybe you had been overlooking? I hope so. That's the prayer. Which then leads to a submission. Uh, Lord, I'll do what you have for me to do today. Because the harvest involves cultivating and planting and watering and weeding and reaping. So whatever you might have and whatever the opportunity, whoever the person, Lord, I'll do whatever today. It, it may reap, it may not. It may just be watering. I may never know the difference I made, but I'm going to do what you have for me to do today. Now, if you've tuned out, come on back. If you pray, confession, request, submission, what we just talked about, you will not be normal. God will change you. And you're not going to be normal. Normal like this. Normal like the classic, typical church person. People at your work, people in your neighborhood are going to go, oh, you're not like the, they're not like the usual Christian. And that would be a compliment. Because what they'd be saying, wow, they might not know this, but you'd be hearing, I'm a little more like Jesus instead of, and I hate to say this, but sometimes the typical normal church person isn't very much like Jesus. So we don't want to be normal. We want to be like Jesus. Let me show you in three ways in this text. So back to John 4 now. We're going to see three actions that Jesus took that don't seem to be that big a deal, but don't miss this. They are the reason the life conversation happens. All right, start in verse 3. He left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to, if you underline in your Bible, I'd encourage you, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, that may seem like a statement that's really not. Let me show you a map. Jesus is down here in the area of Judea. Jerusalem is here, and he's going up here to Galilee. In between Judea and Galilee is Samaria. And it says he had to go through Samaria. So you think, oh, it's just making a geographical statement. It's like, if I'm going to South Carolina, I have to go through Georgia. Actually, you wouldn't have to. That would seem to make most sense. But you know what typical Jews did if they were here and going to here? Because they despised Samaritans, the normal Jewish person would come down to the Jordan River, cross over, go up the Jordan River Valley, and then into Galilee, and never interact with Samaritans. That's what the normal Jewish person did. And what Jesus say? Would you underline? Jesus had to. Well, he didn't have to. Normally, people went around. So what's he mean? He had to. 
It means this. He said, the Father sent me not only to be Savior to the Jewish people, but to all people. And how am I going to save people if I ignore them and avoid them? So I'm not going around. I'm going to go through. I have to. It's my identity. Don't miss this. Jesus said, it's who I am. It's why I'm here. And so, if you start saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I just want to be like you, not normal. I want to be like you. The first action will be this. You're going to be engaged with unbelievers. You're going to interact intentionally with unbelievers. When normal is isolated, when normal is avoid them, when normal is I get a new crowd once I come to Jesus. Now, if you think that's not true, ask yourself this question. When you became a Christ follower, the longer you've become a Christ, you've been a Christ follower, what usually is true, not always, but what is usually true is the longer you're a Christ follower, the less interaction you have, intentional interaction you have with lost folks. Now you may go, no, I still work with a bunch of people who don't know Jesus. I, I know you work with them, but you, do you intentionally interact with them? Because normal is, we never thought about this maybe, but normal is we kind of go around them and over to the other Christian in the office. Just like he went, everybody, normal people went around Samaria. Jesus said, I'm not going to walk around that person. I'm going to walk intentionally to that person. Maybe you live on a street where down at the other end of the street, there's another Christ follower, and you walk by all those houses of people who don't know Jesus to intentionally get to that house, and you avoid all the houses in between because those people don't know Jesus. And the longer, usually, we're walking with Jesus, we end up isolating ourselves. And folks, that's, that's, that's weird. No, no, it's wrong. It ought to be the opposite. The longer we walk with Jesus, the more we ought to be like him. And the way he was, he says, I don't avoid people who don't know me. I intentionally engage them. I don't go around. I go to them. That's really challenging. Because lots of folks I know go, oh, I want to work for a Christian company. I want to work in a Christian neighborhood. I want to work out at a Christian workout place. I want my kids to be on a Christian team. I want my kids to go to a Christian school. And so we end up walking around all these people that Jesus intentionally walked towards. You with me now? See, see if you say, Jesus, I want to do what you want me to do today, you're going to start being abnormal. And people at your work might go, oh, usually the Christians stay away, with, stay away from us. Usually the Christians don't want to be with us. It happens all the time. The Christians on the street hang together, and the other folks who aren't Christians, they have their party, and they have their party. And then you look at the life of Jesus, and he was at their party. And people went, shame. And he went, Seriously? Does the doctor go to well people or sick people? No. Sick people. Why, why would the Savior come to the people who already think they're righteous? I, I'm going to go to people. And it was so surprising. See, it's not a normal life. It's a surprising life. You will surprise people if you'll engage them intentionally instead of avoiding them. All right? That's the first. Now, back to the text. You're going to see Jesus do something uh, that's really weird, though it seems very normal at first. <clears throat> Verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, 
near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. In our time, your clock would have said noon. All right, it's noon. He's been walking. He's tired. So he sits down by the well. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So they all took a longer walk to go get food while he stayed there and rested. Isn't that weird? And you're thinking, no, that didn't seem weird at all to me. Didn't to me either until about 15 times through Mark four, John 4, and I was like, wait a minute. The whole point of what Jesus is trying to help people understand is that he is, he's God. That's the whole reason the gospel of John is written, that Jesus, though 100% man, that he's God. And the deal is this, regardless of what paintings you've seen, when he walked around, he didn't have a halo. People didn't go, oh, that's why you got that ring around your head, because you're a God. He didn't have a, and he didn't float. He walked like normal people walked, and he didn't have weird thing over his head. He looked incredibly normal, and yet he was God, yes or no? Yes, he was 100% God. But what did he tell his disciples at noon? What did he tell his disciples? Y'all go get, y'all go into town and get food. I'm, I'm what? God's tired. Seriously? Does God get tired? Uh, okay, this is. Rosie's with me here, but does God get tired? No, God does not get tired. If you get tired, you're not God. And then he says to the woman, I'm, I'm thirsty. God's thirsty? What about this whole spring up, oh well, living water stuff? Now, is Jesus God, yes or no? Yes, he is God, but he's tired and he's thirsty. Why? Because Jesus was 100% God, and he was 100% man, and even though he looked like a man, he was not afraid to admit weaknesses like a man. And Christians, that's really abnormal for us to admit to what? Weaknesses. You know, you don't do that if you're a Christian. How you doing? Great. Or here, here's the favorite one around here. How you doing? Better than I deserve. Okay, that, that's cute. Uh, that's cute. I understand the theology behind that. But that doesn't tell me anything. How are you doing? And what do we generally, what normal is, family's good, great, fine, good. How you doing? I'm tired. Why don't you go? Sissy, Jesus, come on. What a wimp. I'm thirsty. I don't want you to miss. Jesus admits weaknesses. And his willingness to admit weakness has him at the well when the woman's there. And his weakness engages a conversation with the woman that would not have happened had he not admitted, I'm thirsty. Do you, do you see what the text is? We, we read right past it. But I think we've missed the fact that life conversations happen when Christians are honest. And because we're not very, we don't intentionally lie. We just tell the happy truth part. Because we're not honest, we often don't have life conversations. See, if we're going to be like Jesus, who admits, I'm tired and I'm thirsty, then we've got to be honest. Honest about our weaknesses. Honest about our struggles. 
because what's normal? <laughs> Got it all together. Now let me, let me acknowledge something that I've learned in our family group. I don't know if you're in a family group at the chapel. If not, it's, it's a great place to find actually real life. Not 300 people, but 12 people, 14 people, where you can actually get to know a person's heart if, if you're honest. And we've had family group where we talk and, and it's all up here. And then somebody is a little honest and says, I am wrestling with real bitterness or hatred towards this person. Or I'm having a hard time forgiving. Or we're struggling in our marriage. Or we're at wit's end in this relationship. And you know what happens? People go, oh, well, we'll pray for you. No, that's not what happens. You know what people happen? That happens? People go, oh, here's where we're struggling. And honesty invites honesty. And honesty makes accessible. Some of you know Tim Ullum, one of our commended missionaries over in Indonesia. And when he comes back, because he went to a little school out in Colorado that I did, uh, I'll take him with me, and he'll teach with me out in Colorado. And he's home every few years, so we had done it once. And then three years later, we were doing it a second time. And it was the first session, I, just before the first session, I was about to introduce him. And he grabs me, and he says, hey, last time you made me great. You told all the good things about me. And he literally said this to me. Don't make me great. People admire great people, but they're not accessible. And I was like, good word to me, Tim. Sometimes we want to be admired. But then we're not accessible. We're not real, and it's just not honest. Now, I'm not saying the only thing we would ever talk about is, uh, I'm not turning us into Eeyore, okay? But some of our lives are too good to relate to, and they're not. They're just posted that way, and they're just delivered that way. And I want us to acknowledge Jesus said to his disciples, so believer to believer, if you will, I'm tired. And they helped him. The disciples helped Jesus. You ever let people help you? Or, no, 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 no. You're never honest enough that they could actually help you. And then Jesus said to a woman who wasn't a follower, I'm thirsty. And she helped him. See, so often we think, oh, I've got, to be, I've got to be the perfect Christian among unbelievers so that they can go, oh, that's what Jesus will do for me. No, no, no. What they need to see is someone who is honest, who Jesus has brought new life and healing, and they're still... Real struggles. They're not real struggles even though you're a Christ follower. Yes? Do you not still have real struggles? Are there not still hard relationships? Are there still not real difficult circumstances in your life? See, if you never reveal them, then you are unaccessible to the typical unbeliever who goes, uh, I don't know anything about the Brady Bunch over there. I can't relate to them. But Jesus said, thirsty, tired, and a conversation happened. I want us to, I want to encourage us 
to be just honest. Not Eeyore, but honest with that which is good and that which is hard. I've seen a difference. I was with a guy I hadn't seen for quite a while. We hadn't, I mean, we had seen, but waved, had a conversation. So the first question was, hey, how's the family? And I was about to launch into, oh, man, good. You got five grandkids. It's awesome. Sixth on the way. Da, 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 da. And then I stopped, and I was like, a lot of good things going on, but here's one we didn't see coming. And I shared a heart. And I realized. Then he said, oh, wow, I had no idea. Here's what's happened. And then he told me what was happening in his family. And we actually had then a real conversation. Not just a surfacey, everything's peachy keen. Because, folks, it's just not the way it is. And, and the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of Jesus as he steps into that which is hard, that which is our struggle. And he uses people who are just willing to admit, hey, I don't have it all together. We think it'll be, it'll undermine our story. And it's, it's not. Again, I'm not, celebrating, I'm not celebrating our sin or sinful habits, simply acknowledging we have weaknesses. Jesus had weaknesses, and he didn't hide them. He was honest. I think you'd go a long way to life conversations with folks. We aren't having them yet because we're the got it all together people. And we know we're not. But we've put ourselves as admirable instead of accessible. Jesus made himself accessible. I love that about what I see in Jesus. Now, when he says to the woman, woman, what do he say? Give me a drink. It sounds a little rude, doesn't it? I, I know that because I remember the first time in our high school, when I was the high school pastor here, teaching this to a bunch of high schoolers, and the boys going, oh, man, we love Jesus. And, and they, they, they would go around in youth group going, woman, get me a water. And they thought that was so cute. Ah, oh, woman, get me a water, being like Jesus. I was like, okay, stop that. That's junk. That is not what Jesus is doing here. And I know that Jesus isn't being rude. He's not being chauvinistic because of what verse 9 says. See, in verse 9, the woman gives us what's really going on here. She says, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? Samaritan negative. Samaritan woman, double negative. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. See, is she saying, why are you being rude to me? No. She is saying, why are you being kind to me? I'm used to, normal is, normal is at best ignore. Maybe even be rude. You see, A, a non-religious, a, a, a Jewish person who was going to be rude would speak unkindly to a Samaritan. But there would be those who would be neutral, that would just, they wouldn't be unkind, they would just not say anything. And then there's Jesus, who she is so surprised that he is actively kind. You see the difference between being actively kind and not being unkind? Did you see that? See, the, the disciples actually show up and, and they go, why is he talking to that woman? Meaning, we wouldn't be. Because normal is, well, don't be rude. Just don't be unkind. And this is super challenging to me that we would not be normal which is don't be unkind 
which we think, well, that's good enough, versus I'm going to be actively kind. That's Jesus. And I had a um, regret that when I looked back at our parenting when our kids were very young, that we stopped with, hey, don't be unkind. Instead of, be actively kind. Because I had this real, I would see them and I'd think, why won't they help? Why won't they take an active kindness? And the Lord convicted me. It was like, Doug, because you taught them kindness was not being unkind. And I blew it. It's more than not being unkind. It's being actively kind. It's saying, I'm going to do something even though you don't deserve it. See, I had taught them, well, don't give people what they deserve. But not the fullness of Jesus. Give people what they don't deserve. That's kindness. Jesus, he wasn't unkind and he wasn't silent. He wasn't not being unkind. Kind. That's surprising. It's surprising when, when very specifically Christians are actively kind towards those who have not yet found life in Jesus. They're used to, at best, being ignored. At best, not being unkind. But totally surprising and abnormal is, I'm going to actively show kindness to you as God has actively shown kindness to me. So, be engaged, be humble. This is why I'm here. Be honest and be actively kind. When normal, when normal is not being unkind, it's not being unkind. We've settled for neutral instead of godly. what I love about this. This is why I wanted you to be in John 4 as much as you would personally because these are verses I would have just kind of read through quickly to, to get to the conversation. But folks, are you hearing me? The conversation doesn't happen except for Jesus being humble, honest, and kind. It sounds almost like a country music song. Except that they missed the, the what part? The honest. Mama taught me always be humble and kind. What I'm going to say to us, Jesus demonstrated to us, always be humble, honest, and actively kind. Don't, don't settle for unkind. Be humble, uh, humble, you know, engage, not going around avoiding humble. It's my identity. I'm an instrument of God for more people finding more life in Jesus. It's not going to happen if I'm ignoring them. So humble, honest, kind. And people at your work, people on your street will begin to go, you're a little weird. You're not the typical Christian. Nothing rings better in my ear when, when someone will go, you're not the typical pastor. That's actually good news for me. Two years into when we lived off of Turkey Scratch Lane, we upgraded to Rainbow Lake. That was a lot better than Turkey Scratch Lane. But when we lived on Turkey Scratch Lane, two years in, my next door neighbor, we were driving to Home Depot to fix his fence. And he says, Doug, I got to tell you that had we 
two years ago when we bought this place, found out that a pastor lived next door, we would have never bought this house. Tell me why. And then he told me, and I couldn't blame him because he had experienced the typical removed, judgmental, have it all together, get your life together so you can run with us, get it all to, have it all together, people. And he was like, I just, I just hated Christians. And there's a bunch of people in Jacksonville who hate Christians because they've been normal. Exclusive, avoiding, passive liars who have it all together, who aren't necessarily unkind, but are never kind. And they simply say, I find more kind people than Christians. And we wonder, why don't we have life conversations? It's because we live normal lives instead of surprising lives. Instead of lives like Jesus, where we're, wow, wow, this is different. And it ought to be different because, because of what has been done for us. Jesus says, love your enemies. See, he doesn't say, hey, don't get your enemies back. Love them. Take active be good to them and do good. Lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. See, that you'll look like Jesus. You'll look like God himself. For he himself is, he's kind to ungrateful and evil men. Now I want you to do something for me. I want you to think of someone in your life for whom God has been kind, even though they were ungrateful and evil. Think of somebody in your life who was ungrateful and evil, but God has been kind to them. Now, I hope the first person you thought of was you. Because if you thought of somebody else, we're already too normal. Instead of going, hey, that's how way Paul saw himself. He goes, I, I was chief. I was the worst of the worst. And it made him so impactful with lost folks. We, we fail to see ourselves the way we really are as one who needed kindness. And, and I'm just so convinced if my heart gets broken and honest with the kindness that I have received, then all this normal stuff, this church stuff, it start to shed and, and people would go, okay, you're not like a normal Christian. I'm a little surprised by how you relate to me. Not used to that. Be a lot like Jesus. Impacting your work and your co-workers. See, if Jesus, if Jesus showed up your work, people would go, oh, he's different than I thought he would be. I'm sure of that. He's different than I thought he'd be. Because he showed up at Matthew's house with a bunch of tax collectors and the disciples were tagging along with him and the religious people were going, what's he doing in there? Uh, being true to my identity. I had to be here. Not obligation had to be, it's who I am. So we need a new sense of living according to I'm a child of God, forgiven and set free from slavery to sin. Notice our identity doesn't say anything, and I've got it all together in a perfect life, and all my kids are perfect. My marriage is perfect. We don't argue. We don't fight. We have discussions. I ne I'm never depressed. I'm not always living in the fullness of the joy of the Lord, but I'm never depressed. See, we, we tend to... Rename all the stuff just so we can live and they got it all together. And folks, it's not helping us, it's hurting us. 
Jesus said, y'all go, man, I'm tired, and I'm thirsty, and a life conversation happened. Humble, honest, kind. Seems so obvious, seems so basic, and yet we're so normal. Humble, honest, kind. Here's a chart that really helped me. Jesus is the bullseye. (laughs) And that's obvious because he's perfect. But Jesus is the bullseye specifically as it relates to interacting with lost folks. And here's what I mean. He was not isolated from them. If you'll fill this out, I think it's going to make sense and really help you. He wasn't isolated from the world. He engaged them. He said, a doctor doesn't go to those who are well. So he engages them. But watch. Though he engages them, he's not like them. He's not conformed to them. He isn't unholy like them. He's not sinful like them. And this is always that tension. Some of us are isolated and we need to engage like Jesus. And some of us are conformed to the world and we don't look at all like Jesus and we need to be Engage like Jesus, but holy like Jesus. You see the bullseye? If you were writing, you missed it. Engage like Jesus, but holy like Jesus. So engage with your coworkers, but showing Jesus to your coworkers. See, to be engaged with them, but be drunk with them, no good. That may seem obvious, but to be with them, but then to speak just like them, no good. But to be holy and isolated from them, not like Jesus. So engaged, but holy. That's the relationship he had. What about speaking to them? Well, he always used words. He was not silent. He was not ashamed of speaking the truth. He actually said some very hard things. But watch. He, He was not silent but nor was he condemning. He was condemning to religious people, (laughs) but not to people who needed life in Jesus. Now, if you're tracking with me, here's what I said. Engaged with the world, but still holy. Spoke truth, but in love. You follow? Spoke truth, but in love. This was so helpful to me because as I looked at that, I could immediately see how I was not like Jesus, either in relating to folks or in speaking to folks. Either I was too isolated or too conformed, or I was too silent or too condemning. And here's the way the scripture gives some insight into these quadrants. If I have, if I am a Christ follower, but conform to the world and silent about it, the scripture calls me carnal. <laughs> if, uh, and this was me. When I first came to Christ, I was carnal. I looked just like the world, but I didn't say anything spiritual, so I was absolutely carnal. In order to try to be holy, I then went to the other extreme and isolated myself because bad company corrupts good character, and that's true. So, To avoid that, I isolated myself and was still too chicken to ever speak up about spiritual things. I was irrelevant. (laughs) Here's the way Jesus said it. I was salt that had lost its saltiness. Some of us are isolated, but we love to throw verbal rocks at the world and how wrong they are and and that's why the oftentimes the normal Christian gets characterized as what judgmental I'm not I don't engage with you so you have no sense if you're a lost person that I like you but man I love to throw rocks at your lifestyle and at your decisions And this person, who's conformed, but still loves to condemn, is 
think you know this. That's the hypocrite. Now, I don't want that to be so confused. Don't make that confusing. This is intended to be helpful for you to go. Because I, I think it was very easy for me to go, oh, I need greater engagement, more words. Some of you may go, I need greater holiness, more love. You're, we're all coming from one quadrant. Okay. I've tried to explain it. Now I'm going to look for some response from you. Do you see where you are? Do you see how you need to grow to be like Jesus? Give me a nod if you go, yeah, I see it. You see it? I see some nods. I see some, uh, that's all right. All right. If not, ask somebody who you saw nodding. Hey, help me. I didn't quite understand. Because charts help some people and other people are like, I'm so confused. And that's all right. It's just charts don't always help everybody. This helped me tremendously because I knew exactly where I wasn't like Jesus in my relationships and my words. I knew where I needed to grow. And that's how I want us to be clear. I want us to see how we can grow to be like Jesus so that we can have more life conversations and more people will find more life in Jesus. I want us to be not one of these normal quadrants. I want us to be a surprising, like Jesus was surprising to the people we interacted with. So we're going to remember Jesus' kindness to us in taking the Lord's Supper. So you can put your stuff away, but we're, we're not done responding as we take the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is simply the reminder of God has been kind to me. He, he didn't give me what I deserved, hell. He has actively loved me that I might, through faith in his son, who took the penalty for my sin, I might find life in him. So if I could, guys, one of you grab me one here, please, thanks. As this is passed, if this is new to you, simply a, a cracker that reminds us of the body of Christ sacrificed on our behalf. And the cup is a reminder of the blood of Jesus that we might have forgiveness of sin. So these are the symbols. You guys can go ahead and pass. These are the symbols of God's kindness to us, okay? His active kindness to us right here. It's what we're remembering. The Bible says that when we remember what he has done for us, we should examine ourselves. So I'm going to lead us through some confession. Not all of it will fit each one of you. But where any of these confessions fit as the elements are passing, and I know this will take you to focus while stuff's going on to focus. You can do it. To confess, Lord, I'm not like you in that way. Right? For some of us, it may be this. Jesus, I confess that I'm not like you as a friend of sinners. I've often isolated myself from those who need you. You've done the Jordan River walk. Really, Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners. Any sinners who would name you friend? If not, this is your moment. Say, Lord, that's not like you. I confess it. I want to be like you. So take a moment. Tell him that, if that's true for you. Maybe your confession is, I confess I'm not living a holy life. I'm way over here, Lord, and conformed. I'm in the world, and I'm like the world. You would simply say, Lord, I confess my sin. Maybe it's a sinful relationship. Maybe it's with drugs. Maybe it's with alcohol. You look just like the world, even though you would profess faith in Jesus. Confess that to the Lord right now. Ask for his cleansing, forgiving touch in your heart. Or maybe your confession is, 
I pridefully hide my weaknesses and put it on as if I'm doing better than I really am. You stopped being honest. It's really pride. You don't want people to see your struggle. You don't want people to know what's happening. So you just put up the good stuff. That's not like Jesus. Maybe your confession would be, I'm judgmental instead of compassionate. I'm often guilty of throwing verbal stones. Non-Christians at your work don't think you love them. They think you hate them. Or you don't, they think you don't really care about them. If that's true, would you just confess that to the Lord? You would see the reality of the absence of life of Jesus for them and your heart would be broken instead of angry toward them. Or maybe your confession is you've settled with not being unkind rather than being actively kind. This is your moment with the elements in your hand to to acknowledge, God, you've been kind to me. I confess not being kind to others. To stop with, I simply haven't been unkind. You've been kind. I want to be kind as you've been kind. Gracious as you've been gracious. Would you there in the quietness of your seat say, Jesus, I humble myself before you. And I commit to being honest. And to be kind. Lord Jesus, this moment we thank you for your example of humility your example of honesty and your example of kindness. As we take this, we remember you and yield ourselves to you. Instruments of God for more people finding more life in Jesus. Would you take together with me? Father, as we go from here, would we go as hearers and doers, not hearers only. That our neighbors and our co-workers would experience a surprisingly new person like Jesus. They might not know what it is, but they would be surprised. We would rejoice in you and live in you to the praise of your glory that more people would find you. We present ourselves to you to that end, in Jesus' name, amen. If we can pray with you in any way this morning, that'd be really one of our greatest privileges, folks, available for prayer. God bless.